Welcome to episode 246 of the Energy Talks podcast. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop. Over the past year, I've done several interviews about EVs where the term software-defined vehicles has been mentioned. Automobiles have had software on board since at least the 1970s when fuel injection became popular, but software-defined vehicles are different. To explain how different, I'm joined by James Faulkner, technology analyst at ID Tech X, who joins us from the UK. So welcome to the interview, James. Hi, everybody, and thank you very much for having me on. Well, I'm fascinated by this because it, uh, and it, this seems to me to get to the essence of the electric revolution, because I know that, I know that software defined vehicles can also be internal combustion engine vehicles, but really, you know, we're talking about, about the rolling iPhones that, you know, are, we see in China that are so popular in China. I mean, there's a very, very different kind of car leads to different, different applications, how you, how you use the car. It uh, leads to a different uh, driver experience. Uh, it's just, it, this is the future and I'm really excited about it. I'm a bit of a car guy and, and I, I just think this is, is the, the coolest thing. So let's start with what is a software defined vehicle? I think absolutely right there, Mark, and it's a really, really interesting time. I think you're dead on that it's these electric vehicles, and it, it is kind of like a new, they call it a paradigm shift, where essentially um, in the past you had lots of these tiny little systems that were all like somewhat connected to each other. You had a system for the power windows, you had a system for, to control the internal combustion engine, you had a system for the wipers, a system for the heated seats, everything was all disconnected and you had literally kilometers of wires in going in every single vehicle. Now we're kind of moving into a new paradigm, a new era where you have much fewer wires and maybe uh, one wire to take all this information around. And it's really the software that's defining and controlling all these systems in the vehicle. And as a user, your experience of the vehicle is less so of the driving experience and the handling and the acceleration and the performance, because those are all really good now in the electric cars. I mean, not 60 times in these cars is crazy fast in the electrics, the Tesla. And now the experience is more on the software experience, how you interact with the vehicle. Um, we looked at you know CES um, even today and yesterday, um, BMW had a demo where they were showing people playing video games um, in the car. Um, while the car but is charging, presumably um, not not the driver while they're driving. Presumably not the driver, but it, this it is an interesting you know challenge of distracted driving and you know all these software defined things becoming uh, a distraction as well. But no, the idea is while the electric vehicle is charging, you have that 15, 20 minutes. You go in, grab a coffee, and do some things in your car because the performance is there. These um, the chips in these cars are so powerful now that they can run the latest games. It's basically like a, a mini Xbox or PlayStation in your car um and so yeah and really and interesting. xbox on wheels it, it, essentially yeah in, in some ways it's an it's an xbox it's a phone um it's a credit card on wheels as well as in some ways so um it's really uh everything's kind of coming together into this kind of new era it's really exciting yeah i understand like in china where uh people tend to use fewer computers you know but they'll but everybody uh functions through their phone yes and they expect their car to be an extension of their phone. It has to mm. integrate seamlessly. And, and that's a really important thing. 
and less so in North America, and I suspect in, in Europe as well. But this is the trend. Where China absolutely. is going is where we will be in five or 10 years, probably. Yeah, in some ways, absolutely. Um, the uh, So there's a lot of Chinese OEMs kind of trying to make a push now to uh, into Europe and into the States um, with really like low-cost vehicles. But what they have over the traditional OEMs is this really fantastic, I mean, phone integration and software experience where it feels like a much more modern car at a, at a fraction of the price. I mean, say similar features to a an Audi, but for a, a vehicle that's £25,000 or, or $35,000. Yeah, that's an interesting. There's been a lot of chatter on my social media channels lately about Chinese EVs because, you know, BYD's success sort of, yeah. you know, blew up in the in the North American media in the last quarter because it overtook Tesla and suddenly now everybody's talking about BYD and then BYD introduces some uh, lower cost models and one of the first things that North American uh, consumers thought about was, is this just junk? You know, if I buy a $20,000, $25,000 car, am I going to get a piece of junk that's going to throw it away in three years? And and I think I think the difference here we haven't had enough experience with it, so we don't understand. But it gets to the you know the subject of your report is that the automobiles the basic you know you've got a chassis, you've got four wheels, you've got steering, you've got a propulsion system. They haven't changed in 120 years. You know they're very very different. And what's happened now is the the basics of car manufacturing have been perfected. You know, we we can build we can build cars where the, you know the uh, the uh, front end. Like when I was a kid growing up in the seventies, you know, you replace ball joints and tie rod ends, and these were just like these were you you know, go to you you change them almost as often as you went to get your oil changed, and now you don't ever change them, no. I, because they're so well built and they're so well designed, they last for a long time. So the Chinese <laughs> have taken that principle as I am, and this is my take on it. Uh, but they've taken that and they said, okay, we've got the basics down, Pat. We can do it for peanuts. But boy, where we're going to make a vehicle that really stands out are not the tin bashing and, uh, uh, you know, the traditional stuff. It's in the software and how well that thing functions and how it integrates into your lifestyle. And that's a whole that's a whole different approach to manufacturing vehicles than what we're used to. Yeah, I think you're you've kind of. In terms of the hardware side of things, as an industry, um, they've got the kind of basics solid down and sorted. I mean, um, I'm currently rebuilding a, a 1971 Land Rover Series 3. Um, and that thing, as you said, it's traditional, it's ball joints. And I look at my you know, newer car, 2007, it's ex pretty much exactly the same. It's 50 years of, of innovation and the basic systems in terms of how a car steers and how you get power to the wheels. For an internal combustion engine is pretty much the same now with the electric cars they're much um i wouldn't say simpler but there's much less hardware going on because there's it's a lot more in these uh, electric motors which are smaller and the battery systems as well so you don't have to have this really complex thing which is the internal combustion engine um but what the chinese um are doing and and it's they're not just porting the chinese software that they use in china and bringing it to the us and europe um, I had an opportunity to speak with one of the product development managers at BYE, uh, sorry, BYD, and um, he spoke about the challenges of bringing these vehicles over. And they basically have to redo the entire software, sometimes for legislative, legislative uh, purposes, 
but also for um the consumer preferences like we you know in china they use wechat they use entirely different apps to what we use in europe and the us where we have uh, and canada where we have um youtube we have netflix and stuff like that so basically the whole thing is entirely rethought they use some european and us um integrators to achieve that um but um it's 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 deliberate targeted it's not um at the us and, and europe for those uh, consumer preferences there I was talking to Sam Abelsamid, who is an EV analyst uh, for Guidehouse Research and comes on our, our uh, I interview him a, a fair amount about this industry. And he made the point, and I guess I, I made myself earlier, is that power electronics is something that all of the OEMs uh, have had, have been, they have decades of experience with. It. Power electronics software is not a problem. That's not it. It's the mm. other software that, that controls the other stuff that we're they're talking about that they don't have experience with. And we yes. saw VW, uh, was it last year or the year before, where the, the CEO of VW basically got trundled out the door because his software department for the electric vehicles was performing so poorly. And I mean, it was a lot of money, a lot yeah. of money, over a billion dollars in, in their software. And then I, I understand that GM just uh, released its uh, Blazer, and it had a bunch of software problems, and they had to have re yeah. recalls. So the OEMs, it it it. I'm suspect. I'm going to suspect here that it's not the can I put an electric a battery and electric motor into a vehicle and make it work. I think they can do that. I yeah. think I think where they're going to have trouble competing is on the software side, these software defined vehicles, because they're so far behind the Chinese. And I'm told Tesla is probably the the only uh, uh, North American company that gets it. Like Tesla is on the same level as the Chinese companies and can compete in the Chinese market as a software defined vehicle. Hyundai looks like it's got it uh, together as well. So they're doing well. And no, lo and behold, while we're having conversations in North America about the softening EV market, who's doing well? Tesla, BYD, Hyundai, the, you know, the ones that have got the software down. So I think it's the some of the biggest challenges is this, um, the traditional way of making an OEM, is you take uh, a vehicle, is you take a bunch of products from people lower down the supply chain, the called tier one and tier two manufacturers, and then the OEM's job is to integrate all these, these different devices and products, the chairs, the infotainment, the displays, the steering wheels, um, into your final vehicle. Um, but what Tesla and, and some of these Chinese uh, companies have done completely differently is they've done almost everything themselves, including, this is what Tesla did really interesting, is they design all their chips themselves as well. So the chips that power the um, EV, whereas other OEMs get their chips from other parties, and those chips are very well refined, but they are using lower and older process nodes, are less efficient. And also the job of integrating those chips with all the other companies and all the other companies' code and all their systems all into one vehicle is quite hard. Whereas if you're like Tesla, you've done it all yourself and you have this pretty good advantage that you know everything, you're very comfortable with all the components in your vehicle, and then the software job just becomes a lot easier by itself. Um, but I think the reason why these companies are moving on to um, this software experience is because there can be savings in the future because it reduces the development times of these vehicles. If you can make uh, the vehicle much more software defined, it means that if there's any issues with the vehicle, you can fix it via an over-the-air update instead of having to bring it back 
um, to the factory. And also a vehicle can be improved um, even after it's been released. So you could have a vehicle that was developed in two years, came out, and then there's some features that weren't quite done, but you can just push those via a software update and the, the um, vehicle becomes better. A similar kind of thing to what we've seen in iPhones in the past where a new iPhone update will come out and you'll have a new feature on your phone and your phone will be better, but applied to the automotive industry. And I'd, it's a bit of a paradigm shift. It's a bit different for consumers as well. Um, they have to get used to this, this difference. One of the, the things that caught my eye about your report is the, the ability to uh, empower, I guess maybe that's not the right word, but we'll use it anyway, uh, autonomous driving. Yeah. And you also made the point that V2X, and I'll get you to define that in a minute, uh, the standard and, and the, the communication standard and the hardware and so on, now can, can integrate with other vehicles and also from signals from the infrastructure. And uh, I'll tell you why this is interesting. In 2018, I interviewed the city planners at uh, in Calgary, Alberta, about autonomous driving. And, you know, they, at that time they were, you know, this is early days for autonomous driving still. And they were talking to the manufacturers, as I imagine many big cities were, and saying, okay, what do we have to do in our, in our built environment to enable your autonomous vehicles? And the, the city planners told me that the, the manufacturers were telling them, don't do anything. We, we want these, uh, these autonomous, our robotaxis, whatever they are, to be able to recognize any built environment, wherever it is, using LIDAR and radar and, and cameras and, and so on. And we don't want cities, we don't want any, you know, anybody to have to put in. But now it seems I think we're, we're seeing a change because it never made sense to me. You know, if I wanted to know, tell a, an autonomous vehicle where a stop sign is, put an RFID chip on it. You know, You're put, put them, right. yeah, put them along roads, put them along highways. And then the car can know the car doesn't have to have a camera and line all this fancy equipment because it, it can pick up the RFID signals or whatever other, you know, technology you want to use. And it knows where it is all the time. And yeah. and it, now it, it seems like we're maybe moving in that direction. Have I got that right? Well, I think, yeah, it's absolutely right. It's um, V2X is this kind of idea of vehicles speaking to everything. So the idea is that um, any vehicle, not just an autonomous vehicle, could communicate with other vehicles. So if there's a crash up ahead and it's foggy, you can't see, your car would have a little warning saying, um, slow cars ahead, beware or danger or slow down. And it could even start like pre-warming the brakes so your, your braking distances would be shorter. Um, and then applied to autonomous vehicles, that means that instead of the vehicle just um, having what it can see with its own essentially eyes and ears, the radar and the LIDAR and the systems on board the vehicle, it can actually leverage the sensor data from the autonomous vehicles around it, but also you know normal vehicles around it as well, because most modern vehicles coming out now have radar and some sort of system on there as well. The issue really comes from um, the regulation, legislation, uh, what cities want. And here is we're seeing a big difference between uh, what's going on in China and what's going on in the rest of the world. So um, I spoke to uh, Chinese companies uh, about their opinions on this. Um, in China, this is the um, something to do with the culture, but also the density of the cities. Um, the It makes sense to put in these V2X infrastructure and have the cars speak to each other. And they have therefore in 2024, they're going to start putting this V2X technology 
um, in the safety standards. So if you want to have a five-star safety car, which like a lot of people do, especially if you're like kids, family, um, it has to have this communication built into it, which is really going to accelerate the growth. Um, but in the um, US and Europe, we're much slower in pushing for that technology. And it is unfortunately one of these technologies where it's a chicken and egg situation. You need to have a certain number of vehicles on the road and for it to be worth it to put the infrastructure in. And the infrastructure needs to be there for the vehicles on the road to take advantage of it. So unless someone puts a big investment into something that isn't proven, it's not going to happen unless someone pushes for it, which is happening. Right. And not only are the consumers pushing for it or the or the companies pushing for it, but governments are pushing for it. And governments yeah, seem that's... to be the regulators, uh, policymakers and regulators uh, seem to me to be uh, for many of for much of the energy transition. Uh, regulatory frameworks, standards uh, become increasingly important in the adoption of these new technologies. And so this is a case where the regulators can come in and say, no, you have to have that. I don't know who's going to pay for it. Maybe the, you know, the central government pays for it. Maybe a, a subnational government pays for it, like in, in Canada, yeah. the provinces pay for it. Maybe the, the cities too. pay for it. Yeah. You know, because outside of the cities what you you you're going to need some of this infrastructure built as well so that exactly. means you know on the highway between Calgary and Edmonton which is 300 kilometers more like a freeway who's going to pay for that to put up the yeah. RFID chips or whatever whatever else is required so governments are going to have to grapple with this governments on particularly where there's a safety element involved don't move quickly because they need yeah. to think about it and they they need you know it just takes a while to get all this Absolutely. right and get the, the regulations uh, published. So it seems like China uh, is years ahead of North America and probably Europe Absolutely. on this thinking. Yeah, on this thinking. And for the OEM side of things, for the manufacturers, it represents an additional cost. And it doesn't necessarily, consumers themselves don't necessarily care about it because it's a, it's fairly complicated technology. It's not something you can really easily sell at a dealership or on an advertisement or something like that. Um, you know, Volkswagen and in Europe are doing some pushes on it. Um, they call it uh, car to X technology. Um, but then in some of the 2024 models, it's not included. So they're really not, you know, it's really not um, has doesn't have a huge amount of momentum. The technology has existed since the 90s. Um, companies have been talking about it for for 20 years. Um, and the, so the question is, if it wasn't introduced then, it didn't help then. Why now? Obviously, we've had some advancements in various technologies. And we're seeing a new form of the technology, which is really being um, pushed in China called CV2X. And now the big shift is the U.S. government has shifted from the older technology, which was based on Wi-Fi, to this new CV2X technology, which is based on the same protocols that uh, go behind uh, 4G and 5G, which has advantages in range and also can be built into the same chips that are already existing in the vehicle, um, 4G and 5G chips that are already on the vehicle. And that's maybe why now, or these next 10 years, is a really exciting time for this technology. You know, you mentioned that CV2X, or, or sorry, V2X has been around since the 90s. Uh, 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 the, sorry, V2X has been, CV2X is a newer technology that's really been only around for the last right. five years. Yeah. Sure, the older technology enough. was called DSRC, uh, and was actually developed in the U.S. The, the the point I want to make here is, is that it's very common uh, in the tech development, the tech adoption process, for mm. technology to be developed. Uh, much, you know, it it gets developed, it gets introduced to the market, and then it sits around because you doesn't have enabling technology. 
You know, it doesn't yeah. have, in this case, it doesn't have the computer computing power that's required for it. It doesn't have the other, you know, tech, uh, enabling technologies. Maybe it's AI. Maybe it's uh, some of these other things that you mentioned. And then eventually the enabling technologies reach the point where now this new technology has been sitting on the shelf, you know, or just sort of languishing in the market, now suddenly becomes, you know, really key. And it's a it's a, a big step forward when you put them all together. It's the miss yeah. becomes the missing piece. And I and I, you know, I think of solar, which got its start in the in the sort of mid to late late seventies, but it was twenty years later, you know, that you really when China got hold of it, uh, I guess Germany first and then and then but China really scaled it up and 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 made it go. And it just it took it takes time. For some of these, I mean, look, electric cars took a hundred years for those to, to kick off, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And electric car, you know. So. As the enthusiasts often remind us, um, yeah. <laughs> one of the things I wanted to talk about is monetizing uh, software-defined vehicles. Uh, BMW made a splash a couple of years ago when they mm. they wanted to, you know, rent their uh, their heated seats. And, yeah, and, and that was that wasn't very well received by by uh, consumers at the time. No. But one of the things that we're seeing is a Ford in particular is is already generating money from commercial vehicles. And, Interesting. and this idea of taking data and 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 crunching it, uh, you know, through uh, predictive analytics and and what have you, and then selling it back to to trucking companies and so on, you can see that's kind of the thin edge of the wedge here. The companies are yeah. are are getting their head around how I, they can take this and. And and add value to their to their their customers and make a buck while they're at it. Yeah, I think it's I think you've got it right there. It's it's a buck while they're at it. It's not a it's not game changing, especially considering the amount of um, money that goes around the automotive industry. It's a massive industry, uh, and the data from you know people driving driving behavior it's worth something, but it's not worth a huge amount, especially considering you know the data where people are going and how fast they're going is already on people's phones with Google Maps and stuff like that. Um, but I think there's a lot more money to be made in the other things that come with the car. Um, we think we mentioned, you know, uh, mobile phone integration. One of the things we're seeing now is is um, companies starting to charge for mobile phone integration between the car and um, the the mobile phone. You know, hundred a hundred dollars a year sort of level of money, um, so that you can be sat at home making your breakfast, having pancakes. You could turn on the the heater inside your car while you're sat inside using the mobile phone app. Right now, all those features are offered for free. Will they be free much longer? It depends. If there's money to be made, people will try and make money from it, you know? Um, I think also in vehicle experiences as well, um, selling apps, just like an app store, um, I mean, one way to make a lot of money. And then finally, I think one of the biggest ways to make money will be these autonomous vehicle features. They're calling it um, autonomy as a service. And um, Ford are already kind of charging for this, their Blue Cruise software. The prices for that range anywhere between $50 a month to $90, $100 a month, depending on the region. And you can imagine if you multiply that money out per vehicle, um, even if only 10% or 20% of users choose that, that's a huge amount of extra money for Ford's bottom line. And most most of that is kind of pure profit. The cost of developing that software as experience is already kind of done. Um, and that's where a lot of other companies, once they start seeing how much money these software-defined vehicles are making, might start trying to dip their toe in that pie as well and um, seeing what they can they can do. Now, you've created a table with various levels of software uh, 
uh, defined vehicle. Uh, what and, and what have we got here? Uh, it goes from zero, which is basically none, up to yeah. level five, which is futuristic, as you call it. Yeah. And already we're seeing uh, the 2023 Tesla Model 3 with a level three. So some of yeah. the manufacturers are are getting fairly advanced on this. Maybe you could explain that table to us. Absolutely. So this table is one one thing going through these um, all these vehicles and talking to all these manufacturers is there's um, a, a huge amount of variance between them, um, and even just between models of the same manufacturer, it can be quite difficult as well. So at ID Tech X, um, we kind of came together and we kind of formulated this. Um, way of basically simply classifying a vehicle so they can be compared with each other. Um, so what we're seeing is um, some uh, Tesla level three there because they've really gone for the software experience, but um, they're still using things, some slightly outdated stuff. They've got 4G on board, whereas other manufacturers are switching to 5G, which is much faster data rate, uh, much lower latency, and then more advantages on that. Um, and they still only got the one middle screen in the middle, um, whereas really premium models from Mercedes, BMW are pushing for multiple screens, GM as well in the Escalade, pushing for multiple screens, which makes the software experience not just for the driver, but also for the passenger as well. Um, the onboard compute is really performance, uh, really important. If you have a performant onboard compute, you can unlock lots more features. Um, other things we saw already, the gaming and, and these YouTube videos and stuff like that. But maybe the idea is in the future that um, you can even do work on your car. You can load up Word, load up Excel, you're a passenger, maybe you could do a, uh, a meeting while you're being driven to work. And this all meshes together finally with autonomous driving. If you have a level three or level four driving car, um, you might in certain situations when it's safe to do so, you might be able to get a decent amount of work done on your commute to work, uh, on your commute back from work. On um, Even if it's an hour long commute, that time goes from being dead time where you're just getting from A to B to being actually really useful time where you're learning or working or doing something productive. Um, it's all unlocked with uh, the connectivity, the display, the performance on the vehicle, and also how good that software and the app stores are in the vehicle as well. I want to wrap up this interview, James, with your take on uh, the companies that are the worst at software-defined vehicles and mm. the companies that are best at software-defined vehicles. So I think what we're seeing is um, there is a huge amount of uh, difference between companies, but um, what we're seeing is certain companies um, are focusing more on the driving experience, what it's like uh, the traditional way, and and they targeted towards particular markets. I think we're seeing some um, Japanese OEMs as well. Um, the Toyota Rav4, for example, is, is quite a relatively premium model. Um, but that's uh, if you look at the you know if you just play around with the um, software experience inside that vehicle it definitely feels you know three or four or five years behind compared to tesla um and um also just generally on the budget vehicles um they are pushing much less it's it's the best software experiences are found on the most premium vehicles creating this kind of weird system where the more expensive your vehicle is the more you pay per month for the software experience so you pay more initially and then you pay more afterwards. But I think what we're going to start seeing is these um, software-defined vehicle features trickle down into the more budget-friendly car. And we may eventually see a vehicle where it's actually sold at a loss, the idea that the companies will recoup the value um, from that vehicle in the form of selling you things while you're in the vehicle, maybe even ads on the vehicle. You have to watch a minute ad 
before you start your car or something crazy like that. But that's just, um, you know, conjecture at the moment. Um, we just didn't see many companies actually take the idea on board. Well, James, thank you very much for this. This is, uh, it's not, our conversation has not been just about, um, you know, where cars are going, where electric mm -hmm. vehicles are going. It's more than that. It's, it's, there's competition uh, between the, the new uh, EV only manufacturers who are just kicking butt. Uh, they're doing really, really well in the market. And then the OEMs, which are stumbling and, and having trouble to the greater or lesser degree, of course. But yeah, but it's a, this uh, software defined vehicle seems to be an, a peek into one of the areas of competition that's going to determine which companies are left standing and which companies maybe don't make it. Absolutely. And, I think you're right. Yeah. So thank um, you. Oh, oh, sorry. Go I, ahead. I, I, if I have some more final words, I think the, um, the thing that will really make a break some of these companies is cybersecurity. And I think it's the most important thing. I think there is not necessarily a huge amount of money to be made in having better cybersecurity features. But as you make these vehicles more software defined, they're more connected, there's going to be more risk associated with the vehicles. And that becomes cybersecurity becomes really important. If the company goes too open, too software defined, they risk letting in um, some bad actors, especially when you have these new systems of brake by wire, even steer by wire, where computer controls the steering, the acceleration. People have to be careful as well. Fair enough. Well, thank you very much, James. Thank you very much, Martin.